We're going to talk about the love of God again. And we're going to keep talking about it until God says not to. <laughs> uh, last week, when we talked about the love of God, we talked about how God's love is so much deeper. We, we, we uh, in our American, American, Happy Canada Day, I just joined the other side. I don't know where that came from, forgive me. If God can love me in my mess, please, can you as well? Wow, I don't even know. In our English language, love can, you know, we, we use it flippantly, right? I, you know, I, I love I love socks, I love, you know, whatever. I, I love, and, and it's something that we use flippantly when, and, and so when it comes to the Father's love, when it comes to God's love, we, we don't really grasp the full meaning of it. Maybe some of you do, but a lot of us don't grasp the fullness of what he's saying when he says, I love you. And so last week we talked about the four different kinds of, of love in the Greek language, which is phileo, which means uh, it's the friendship kind of love. It's beyond acquaintance. Uh, it's where you have a, a deep friendship. It's a loyal kind of love. And then there's storge, which is the family. It's what you'd have, a father to a son or a father to a daughter. It's unconditional love. It's, it's uh, a family fathering, mothering, nurturing type love. And then there was eros, which was erotic love. And then we have agape, which is what we're going to talk about, the God kind of love. The kind of love, the way God loves. And so I'm just going to read what I read last week for the definition of agape. It's the God kind of love. It's divine, it's perfect, and it's pure. It describes the unconditional love of God. More fully, it is called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object loved. In other words, it even sees differently. It sees you as precious. In its highest form, it is the highest form of love in the Greek text. It is the love of esteem. It is the idea of prizing. It is not kindled by merit, so you can't do anything in your, in your own ability to receive this kind of love. So it's not kindled by merit or the worth of the object, but it originates in its own God-given nature. It is friendship. It is loyalty. It is fathering. It is intimate. And it is passionate. Agape love is always shown by what it does. What it does for you. It is shown by, 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 by what it can do. In Ephesians 2 verse 4, it says, can you put that up there because I can't read. <laughs> but God still loved us with such great love he is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Nothing that I did to deserve it. Romans 5.8. 
But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Christ proved God's passionate love. Okay, so when Jesus was dying on the cross, beaten and tortured, people said things about him, he was wounded. When he did that, he was showing you how God loves. Jesus came to reveal the Father. That's what Jesus came. He came to reveal how the Father is, who the Father is. He came to reveal the Father. Christ proved God's love. When Christ was hanging on the cross dying, he was showing you how much the Father loves you. So agape love is the kind of love that gives. What does the Bible say? Um, what does the Bible say? <laughs> <laughs> that God so loved the world that he gave. He so loved the world that he gave. Not that he took from, not that he punished, he gave. Because he loved you. Agape love is unmerited, gracious, and constantly seeking the benefit of the one it loves. Agape love was modeled by Christ, and it is not based on a feeling. Rather, it is determined by an act of the will, a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above its own. That's what agape love, the God kind of love, puts the welfare of others. It puts the welfare of you above its own, that was Jesus. That they would know the Father, I'll die. That they would have healing, I'll die. That they would know peace, I'll give my life. The welfare of you, above his own. That is the love of God. I was talking, I had coffee with a really good friend and uh, the other day, and, and, and we were talking, and, and she, uh, in her profession, she works with broken lives and broken people. And, and so we were talking about the love of God, and, and as we were talking about it, she said something, and, and I'm not sure exactly how she said it, but, but it spurred something in me. And, and, and she said, you know, you can talk about the love of the Father, and, and you can say it a million ways, and the, you know, God loves you, and God loves you like a father, she said, but, it, but there are some that don't know what a loving father looks like. So you keep saying, he loves like a father, but what, is it, what does a father look like to them? Comes home at Christmas? Is that how God loves? sends gifts, gives gifts after they've been beaten, how? And I thought, you're right. How, how does God love like a father? So I began to look it up. Every verse that I could find that talks about God as the father. So first of all, as a father, he loves us. And remember, it's not, it, it's not even the, 
the kinds of love that we discuss. It's agape love. It's love that gives and gives and gives and gives. It isn't anything that you have to do. You don't have to get good grades to be loved. You don't have to do good things to be loved. It just loves and loves and loves. He loves us. In Jeremiah 31, it says this, the Lord appeared to me from ages past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, my loving kindness, I have drawn you and continued my faithfulness to you. In Ephesians 5.1, it says, we come to God as sinners, but he wants to transform our habits, our attitudes and practices into the way of Jesus to live, forgive and love as he does. So verse one says, so imitate God, follow him like adored children. He adores you. In 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, Look with wonder at the depths of the Father's marvelous love that He has lavished on us. He has called us and made us His very own beloved children. For this reason, the world doesn't recognize who we are. Is that they didn't recognize Him. Another way that he loves us is he has compassion on us. In Psalms 103, verse 13, it says, the same way a loving father feels towards his children, that's but a sample of the tender feelings towards us. Your beloved children who live in awe of you. Matthew 9, 36 says, when we saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without a shepherd. Jesus modeled the Father, remember. Jesus, all of Jesus' life was, was to reveal the Father, who he was. So when he says that he was moved with compassion because the people, they seemed weary and broken. He had compassion on them. The Bible says that he, that, that, that he, the God is near the brokenhearted. He is near to the brokenhearted. I was thinking about that one day. God is attracted to brokenness. It attracts him. As kids, or as, as parents, anyone who has kids, when our when we hear our children cry, and you know there's that cry, when you hear that cry, where they've hurt themselves or they're upset, what do you do? You drop everything immediately. You go into panic parent mode and you start running. Or when your kid comes home from school and someone has hurt their feelings or someone has, someone has bullied them, you go into parent mode. Let me call the parents. Or I might wait to see if anyone's looking and take the kid behind a shed. <laughs> I'll choose option one because it's the right thing to do. But, but you, go into, you go into this mode that says, you, you hurt my kid. So, so when God says, I'm near to the brokenhearted, because he's attracted to it, because he sees your brokenness and he has compassion on you. I have compassion because my kids, are they broken and weary? I, I want to fix it. 
He delights in us. Psalms 149 verse four says, for the eternal is listening and nothing pleases him more than his people. Zephaniah 317 says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, making no mention of your past sins. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. There's another version that says he dances over you. Another verse that says he sings over you. He's playful. He's fun. He's got a good sense of humor. He likes to joke around. You say, what, God? Yes. Where do you think you got your sense of humor from? Or lack of? I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Why do you think you like to laugh? Why do you think you like to have fun? Because your father does. I picture this verse where it says he's singing and dancing. You know, you know, moms, you know, will be more probably apt to be silly in public than men. Maybe. I don't know. But you know when, when you're a dad and you're at home and you've got little kids and you see the dads and they're, la or they're dancing with their kids and they're singing with them, God does the same thing. He's singing over you. He's dancing over you. He cares for us. Deuteronomy 32 verse 10 says, The Eternal One found Jacob out in the wilderness, out in an empty, windswept desert wasteland. He put his arms around him. God put his arms around him and took care of him. He protected him as the apple of his eye, just as an eagle stirs up its nest, encouraging its young to fly, and then hovers over them in case they need help, and spreads its wings and catches them if they fall, and carries them up high on its wings. God did this. He says he found Jacob, he found him, broke him, then he brought him in, took care of him. And then he began to teach him, okay, all right, Jacob, out of your brokenness, now you, now you begin to fly. But yet he was still watching them the whole time. He didn't fix them and then kick them out. <laughs> Taking care of him all the time. First Peter 5, 7 says, pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. For he always, always tenderly cares for you. He calls us beloved friends. John 15, verse 13 says, For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. That's agape love. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I commanded you. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing but I call you my most intimate friends. For I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. He relates intimately to us and calls us by name. He sees you. He, he sees you. A lot of times we say, okay, God loves me. We think that God loves the majority. Like he just loves all the people. And he does, but he sees you. He loves you intimately. He loves you. 
not just a big group, not just the world. He just loves them. He kind of doesn't really know them, but he loves them. No, he, he sees you. He can see you. He knows everything about you. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, it says, But now God's message, the God who made you in the first place, the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. See, he calls you by name. When you're in over your head, I'll be there for you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God. The Holy of Israel, your Savior, I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich cush and saba thrown in, that's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you, for you. You're not a number. I, I remember when I worked at a tanning salon. I kind of worked at a tanning salon. Anyways, um, when we would ring people in, as soon as you started coming to the salon, you would give us your name, and then we would give you a number. And so when you came into the salon to tan, you would give your number. And so many people would come in, and we'd, and we'd enter it into the computer. What's your number? That's what we'd say. Hello, what's your number? And many people would get really offended at that. They'd say, I'm not a number. I have a name. I'm not a number. I have a name. It's the same thing with you. You're not a number to God. You have a name, and he calls you by it. He gives us constant attention. Deuteronomy 31 says, Verse 8 says, and he will be leading you. He will be with you, and he'll never fail you or abandon you, so don't be afraid. Psalms 34, 15 says, for the eternal watches over the righteous, and his ears are attuned to their prayers. He is always listening. Psalms 139, verse 16 says, oh yes, you've shaped my me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Does that sound like somebody that's a number? No. He knows every bit of you. Every bit. This is why we worship. This is why we worship. He nurtures us. Psalms 27 verse 10. My father and mother abandoned me. I'm like an orphan, but you took me in and made me yours. He encourages and affirms us. Luke 12, 32 says, what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. Not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. 
People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provision. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. So he says, interesting at the beginning, he says, what I'm trying to get you to do is just relax. But then I thought it was interesting. It says, you're so preoccupied with getting that you can't respond to what God's giving. You're so preoccupied with doing it yourself. We're trying to take care of yourself. That you can't respond to the fact that God's trying to take care of you. He's trying to get to you what you need. It's a steep yourself in God reality. Who is God? How does he love me? Steep yourself in that. God initiative, God provision. Don't be afraid of missing out. God's got you. He is patient and he is gentle with us. Lord, you're so, uh, uh, Psalms 103 verse 8 says, Lord, you're so kind and tenderhearted to those who don't deserve it. And so patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. Matthew 11:29 says, simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, and easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me. He's gentle, humble, and easy to please. He instructs and he guides us. Psalms 32 verse 8 says, I will teach you and tell you the way to go and how to get there. I will give you good counsel and I will watch over you. Isaiah 48 verse 17 says that this, this is what the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. And lastly, he provides for us. Psalms 23, the Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. Psalm 16, I'm sorry, John 16, verse 24 says, Until now, you've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name. But now, now you can ask and keep on asking him. You've not been bold enough. I, what if sometimes we're not bold enough because we don't recognize how much he loves us? But if we had an understanding of this love that the Father has for us, we bold enough to ask, Father, I need this. It says, and you can be sure that you'll receive what you ask for and your joy will have no limits. This is the love of a father. This is how a father loves. It's unconditional. There are no conditions to it. I looked up the word unconditional and it means this. 
not subject to any conditions. But it also means this, unquestioning, unqualified, unreserved, unlimited, unrestricted, wholehearted, complete, total, entire, full, outright, absolute, all out, unequivocal, positive, indubitable, unquestionable, undoubtable, indisputable, inarguable, undebatable, incontestable, undeniable, and unmistakable. <laughs> you want me to? <laughs> All right, Jen is requested. <laughs> and God loves Jen, so. It is unquestioning, unqualified, unreserved, unlimited, unrestricted, wholehearted, complete, total, entire, full, outright, absolute, all out, unequivocal, positive, indubitable, unquestionable, undoubtable, indisputable, inarguable, undebatable, incontestable, undeniable, and unmistakable. The unconditional love of our Father, of my Father. Unconditional love gives itself in commitment to people. Committed no matter what, it walks the extra mile. Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. One mile is doing what's expected. The second mile is agape love. It's what Jesus did. Did what was expected, but then went more. Then went crazy more. It's the second mile. It's what, what God does for you. That's how he loves you. Unconditional love. Okay. What time is it? Does someone tell me a time? 1130? Unconditional love. You wake up in the morning. You missed praying. You slept in. You got in your vehicle. You swore at some people because they cut you off. You did that sin. You did the thing that you promised God you would never do again. You did it anyway. You get home. You go to bed. And he loved you. He loved you. He loved you. It didn't change. Nothing changed. He loved you. It didn't change. Now he may say, look, I want you to repent. Let's repent of that. I got strength, I've got grace to help you not do it again. But love for you did not change. Okay, you wake up in the morning. You prayed for five hours. You read your Bible, you got some intense revelation. You got in your car, you waved at everyone and blessed them. You got to work and you led 15 people to the Lord. 
You didn't think anything bad. You didn't say anything bad. You didn't do anything bad. You turned water into wine. You walked on water. You did it all. His love didn't change. It was the same. It, it, it's the same. It does not change. Because it's unconditional. There isn't anything that you can do to make him love you more or love you less. It is unconditional. And you can't argue it. It doesn't change. Nothing in life is free. But his love is. His love is. He gave it. For you. This kind of love changes the way you think. You begin to see everything differently because you begin to understand your identity. Fear and anxiety go because you begin to trust in this kind of love. Well, wait a minute, this love's different. Wait a minute, I can rest in this. This is different kind of love. When you are performing, striving, earning, working for the love of God, what you're trying to do is find your identity. In God, you don't do something to become. In God, you are first, you are first and then you do. So in other words, in God, I am loved, I am his son, I am his daughter. I'm not his son, I'm his daughter. But out of that love, I do. Out of that love, once I, once I recognize that I am a son or a daughter, that identity, that's what I live out of. In the world, you have to do something to become. And that's often what we get caught in, is I gotta do these things to get the status. I gotta do all these things right, and it's a fight to get to the top. It's the opposite with God. He says, you've become, now go. Jesus didn't perform his ministry for acceptance. God said, this is my beloved son on whom I am well pleased. That was before Jesus did anything. It was before he performed miracles. It was before he gave his life. It was before he did anything. It's not enough to know God loves you. Knowing in your head will not make you have an experience with God. First John 4, verse 16 says this, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. 
So that word no, in that verse, it has two meanings. One of the meanings, it means, it means head knowledge. It means that now you know. But it also means now you know and you experience. And a lot of us are stuck on the now you know. Yes, God loves me, amen, sister. Praise the Lord. But we haven't experienced the love of God. And head knowledge, if you have head knowledge of the Word of God, it will almost always, and you haven't experienced it, it'll almost always result in religion. You know the saying, knowledge is power? It's, that's a half-truth. Knowledge is only power if you use it, if you experience it. If knowledge is just knowledge. So God wants us to have an experience with Him. And I believe that that's where God's taking us. To experience the love of God like we've never experienced it before. So then it goes on to say, and now we have known, which is we, we, have, we have heard it, but now we've also experienced it. And it says, and believed the love of God. So once you know it in here and in here, and you've experienced it, now you believe it. Now I believe it. Now I believe it. Can I get the praise and worship team to come, please? So, someone could tell you that sugar is sweet. Sugar is sweet. And so, okay, good to know, sugar is sweet. So then I can tell others about it, duff, sugar's sweet. And then I could write a book about it, how sweet sugar is. Sugar's so sweet. I could tweet about it. I could talk about it. I could preach about it. I could do all the things. But unless I've tasted sugar, I've never experienced that it's sweet. But once I taste sugar, now I know. Now I know. I don't just know in my head, I know by experience, sugar is sweet. And what does the Bible say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. What's it saying? Experience. He says, I want you to experience me. I want you to experience the love of God. I want you to experience it. I don't want you just to know that I'm good. I want you to experience my goodness. I want you to experience my love. That's what he wants for you, to experience it. It'll change your life. In Psalms 34, verse 8, it says, it's the same verse, uh, but it says it in the Passion Translation. It says, deeply of the pleasures of God. Experience for yourself the joyous mercies he gives to all who turn to hide themselves in him. Drink deeply. 
of the pleasures of God. Drink him in. It's like, what? Just receive him. Receive him. I'm going to get you to turn the lights down, please. And It seems a little bit funny. I'm going to get the team, and, and they're going to sing over you. And you, you don't have to do anything. You don't do anything. Because God gave. God gives, and he just wants to pour himself out on you this morning. If it, in your heart, you're like, I've never experienced the love of God. I don't, I think I've known it. I don't know if I've actually experienced it. To just say, God, I don't want to just know it anymore. I want to experience you. Come, come. Or maybe you've experienced the love of God, but you know that you don't have or you haven't experienced it in its fullest capacity or you want more. I'm not sure if we'll ever experience it in its fullest capacity, to be honest. I think we just keep going deeper and deeper. But if you want more, it's like, I want to experience you more. Just, God, I'm here. I want to experience your goodness. I want to be able to trust in that love. I want to know. But it's important for you to know you don't have to do anything. You don't have to sit in your chair and be like, okay, God, I'm positioned. Do I need to think this? Should I, should I say something? Maybe say a prayer? No, not today. Today you just sit and let the love of God pour into you.